Ron Elving's with us in the United States. Hello, Ron. Good to be with you, Catherine. Ron is Senior Editor and Correspondent, Washington Desk for NPR News. Goodness, I've taken my eye off the ball. You've gone and got yourselves a new speaker, Ron. Introduce us. Well, you you are being introduced to him much as the rest of America is being introduced to him. His name is Mike Johnson, and most members of the Senate, I don't think we're familiar with Mike Johnson, let alone most Americans. Uh, he's pretty much a stranger outside of the House itself and pretty much outside of the House Republican Conference. Now, he had a minor role in leadership in the previous leadership under Kevin McCarthy, the ousted speaker. Uh, he was number five in their hierarchy. And they reached down that far for him because he was a person, apparently, whom the rebels in the House conference who ousted McCarthy could trust or felt they could talk to or felt would be sensitive to their needs. And that had been more or less his role in the leadership uh, before that, talking to the hardest rocks on the right, the most conservative members of the conservative caucus. And so now he's the boss in, in the House, and we'll see how that works. Uh, is it a surprise that this has been settled on? An enormous surprise. I, I don't think there has been a speaker, uh, certainly not in, in my lifetime or in my 40 years in Washington, who's come to the job uh, with as little notice prior to coming to the job. He's been there only uh, only only three and a half years. Uh, he, he's simply not a major figure and hasn't been one, except in certain circles of particularly serious evangelical Christians in the House. So there is a group there, and he has been a prominent part of it, of uh, very, very forward Christians, evangelical Christians. He is a member of the Southern Baptist Convention. He has tried to move that organization more in a conservative direction. And um, so he is prominent within that minority within the minority. But that is apparently a role that has helped him win the at least temporary trust of people on all sides among the House Republicans. And let's face it, after three weeks and several failed attempts to get a new speaker and people even with the support of former President Trump were being voted down, at, at this point, they were rather staring into the abyss. And so uh, rather than go into the abyss, they simply decided to take a chance on Mike Johnson. His conservatism in a conservative party, um, opposed to abortion rights I'm reading here, opposed to same-sex marriages, is that necessarily particularly relevant to the operations of the House? And if so, when does it become so? It usually would not be, but it has become so because the margin between the two parties is so narrow that a relatively small handful of people uh, amidst 435 members can literally deprive the body as a whole of the ability to go forward. That's what happened with the ouster of the Speaker. There were only eight Republicans who voted against him, but that was enough to cost him his job. And with some of the other candidates who were up for the job, there were only, say, 20 Republicans who weren't willing to support them but that was more than enough to keep them from getting the job. So it, it really was going to take some kind of an experiment. And I think Mike Johnson could, Johnson could be called an experiment. It was going to take some kind of an experiment to see if they could go forward at all and organize the chamber at all. 
So we haven't had this experience a lot in the past because such a narrow majority, just a handful of seats out of 435, uh, that's just terribly rare. And uh, we may get to the very smallest majority here that we've ever seen, 200 and almost 50 years as a republic. Uh, we're getting very close to that, and we may lose a member or two in the next couple of months. So there appears not to have been another way forward. Okay, again back to his specific role though, because I see already journalists going back and, you know, citing his closeness to the former President Trump, citing his position on, on whether the election was stolen. But when it comes to the functioning that needs to happen now, what is it that the Speaker does? You already have the House leaders for the respective parties, but what is the Speaker's role and what are the constraints on that role? He literally decides what comes to the floor for a vote. So even if you have something terribly pressing, like, let us say, aid for Israel and Ukraine, uh, it's up to him whether it comes to the floor for a vote in the House of Representatives. So he has made it very clear he supports Israel. So the $14.5 billion, $15 billion that's being asked for by the White House will go through the House and Israel will get that money as fast as possible. But the much larger amount of money the White House would like to send to Ukraine to help them fend off the Russians, that is in real doubt because Mike Johnson in the past has voted against increasing aid to Ukraine, and he might not be entirely willing to bring a robust package, at least, of Ukraine aid to the floor of the House for a vote. And then we move on to funding the government in general, uh, which without some sort of a funding deal between the two bodies in Congress and the White House itself, without some kind of funding deal among them all, it's going to shut down on November 17th. I'm not sure if there's anything other than just uh, noting the sadness of it all, that there's been another mass shooting in the United States, in Lewiston, Maine, and there's been a, a, a rush of shootings at Halloween parties at the moment. Uh, how do people react now? to an atrocity on the scale of what happened in Lewiston or, or, or to these shootings at Halloween? Sadly, I'm afraid people have become rather inured to the violence and, uh, and, and even, even to mass shootings because we have just had so many. Now, in Maine, where they only have two members of Congress, it's a sparsely populated state. Much of it is highly rural and much of it is committed to what you would call hunting culture. Uh, guns have been pretty popular, but the congressman for Maine, one of the two congresspersons, was uh, was willing to come out over the weekend after the Lewiston shooting and say, all right, that's it. I'm going to change my position on guns. I think we need to have more restrictions, more regulations, specifically having to do with these high capacity magazines and these these essentially semi-automatic uh, rifles, uh, which this particular shooter was using. He shot more than 30 people. 18 have died, and he shot more than 30 in two different locations on a Saturday afternoon and, and then went off and, and uh, dispatched himself as well. But this had, happens far too often, and it is beginning to change some minds, I think, even among members of Congress. Auto workers are heading towards a potential deal. This is following some strike action. Update us, Ron. Yes, well, it appears that... Uh, the United Auto Workers has now struck a deal with General Motors, and that makes it a trifecta. They have struck deals with Ford and Stellantis, and so the American, the big three American automakers appear to be willing to accede to the demands of the workers and pay oh, substantially higher wages over a period of the next several years. 
That's a great victory for the labor movement. We haven't seen a strike produce this kind of results for, especially for the old fashioned metal bender unions in many years. So this coupled with some of the other developments in the field of labor, apparently there may be some sort of a breakthrough in the studio uh, versus creatives, actors, and so on, a uh, strike that has shut down the movie and television industry. There may be some breakthrough coming there too. So at least on one front, the news seems to be good. And what do we think is behind that? Is there a tight labour market uh, that perhaps has forced the hand of some of these big companies that might otherwise have held out longer? Yes, no question about it. The job market has been strong throughout the past year or so, and here we are at more or less historic lows for unemployment, despite all the other headwinds the economy has been facing between COVID and uh, high interest rates and high interest rates that don't appear to be in any danger of going down very soon. And nonetheless, businesses continue to operate and continue to hire. And uh, there is not a flood of people looking for work as there has been at other times of distress in the past. So the auto workers have found the right moment. They have found the right leverage. And they have said, if you want to continue this highly lucrative business, especially making things like Jeep that sell all over the world, you're going to have to pay us more to do the work. Now, finally, the former president's legal situations. Have there been any, has there been any progress lately? There has been quite a bit of change in the last week. Several of the former president's current attorneys or former attorneys have agreed, essentially, to cooperate with the, with the prosecutors. So uh, some of his lawyers going back 20 years are now testifying against him. And some of the people who were involved in the resistance to the legitimizing of the 2020 election, the, the certification by Congress, some of the people who tried to overturn the results of the last election is what I'm saying, have now agreed to testify against the former president. That is not good news for the former president. What is the specific uh, case that this applies to? Because there are many, uh, there's business and tax related ones happening as well. So who brought this particular action that they will be part of? This is, this is related partly to the New York tax case, but uh, the real focus is on the Georgia case where he has been charged with state crimes for trying to overturn the results just in Georgia. So there are 18, 19 co-defendants, 18 defendants plus Trump in that case, and now six of them have turned against him, and there are probably going to be more. Plus, uh, the, that in, number could include, and we, we don't know yet exactly what he's agreed to, but apparently the president's former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, uh, has... Uh, decided that uh, it's time for him to cooperate with the prosecutors too. And he was with Trump every minute on January 6th. So that testimony in particular uh, will be highly important to the case. When will this happen, however, as time moves on towards your next election and certainly towards the nomination of the Republicans' candidate? It appears that it's going to, uh, the case is going to go to court. Uh, several cases really are going to go to court early next year. So we're talking about roughly March. Uh, for some of the most important ones, it's conceivable that something could happen sooner. Some of the defendants have tried to move it up. But uh, but the Trump strategy is delay, delay, and more delay. If they can possibly put this off until as late in 24 as possible and maybe into 2025, maybe Donald Trump could get reelected in the meantime and try to do something about derailing it all. Thank you, Ron. Ron Elving is Senior Editor and Correspondent, Washington Desk for NPR News.